I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Joshua chapter 21. As you turn, let me uh, say that I bring greetings from the saints down at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson. Uh, David Strain is on sabbatical and uh, the session graciously allowed me to go and to preach uh, this morning uh, for that congregation uh, as they've been bringing in guest pastors. Uh, it was uh, a lot of fun, even though I've been back for 10 years, uh, there's still a lot of uh, members at First Pres that, whose children I had when I was a youth intern uh, while in seminary from 99 to, to 03, so 20 years ago. Uh, a lot of those families I hadn't seen, this was the first time I've seen them. So they were remarking you know, about the, how the hair had fallen from the top of the head to the face, uh, how you know, all were like 20 years, like I'm so old, right? And I think they were saying I'm old or they were old or their kids are old. Uh, but there was a lot of hugs, a lot of laughs. Uh, this morning. So uh, thank you for letting me go, uh, elders, and I uh, pray that God's blessing will be upon uh, our, both of our churches as we co-labor together for his kingdom here in the Jackson metro area. And now we turn our attention, continuing our series in Joshua 21. Uh, this uh, passage, we won't read the entirety of it. I'll read verses 1 to 8 and then comment uh, just briefly about the next verses, and then we'll read together uh, verses 41 to 45. So hear God's word, Joshua chapter 21. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, Yahweh commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in, along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command of Yahweh, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. The lot came out for the clans of the Kohathites. So those Levites who were descendants of Aaron, the priests, received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin, 13 cities. And the rest of the Kohathites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan and the half-tribe of Manasseh, 10 cities. The Gershonites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan, 13 cities. The Merarites, according to their clans, received from the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Zebulun, 12 cities. These cities and their pasture lands, the people of Israel gave by lot to the Levites, as Yahweh had commanded through Moses. And now in verses 9 to 26, he's going to detail the 23 cities given to Aaron and to the Kohathites. And then in verses 27 to 33, he details the 13 cities given to the Gershonite clan. And then in verses 34 to 40, he lists the 12 cities given to the Merorite clan. And now let's pick up again in verse 41. The cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. These cities each had its pasture lands around it. So it was with all these cities. Thus Yahweh gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And Yahweh gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for Yahweh had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that Yahweh had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Amen. This is God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. It's almost been 30 years since Jeff Bezos founded Amazon in a garage at his house in Seattle, June 5th, 1994. It started out, as some of you may know, as an online bookstore. 
Uh, and it was right as the internet was starting to take off, right? 1995 is when uh, uh, Netscape Navigator came out, right? We, uh, we know uh, the story, the connection even to Mississippi with that. Uh, but today, Amazon is uh, the second largest company in the world by, uh, by revenue, right? So in 2022, it generated $514 billion in revenue only behind Walmart, all right, that generated $611 billion. Now imagine that everyone in this room, maybe everyone in this church, maybe everyone has purchased something from Amazon in the last year, right? Let's just assume that, right? We've all bought. I mean, if you haven't, I would love to know. It would be amazing to figure out how you've done that, right? Um, but whether you purchase something from Amazon with great delight or with great disgruntlement, right? Because of your frustration at the way Amazon has taken away the mom and pop stores, whether you like this company or not, whether you respect Jeff Bezos or not, right, it is difficult not to be struck by the fact that it started out so small, right? And now it is this behemoth in our culture, in our world. And I'm sure the same type of progress uh, could be noted for all of the top, you know, 10 companies. Certainly Walmart, right, would have a similar story. Um, from very small, very tiny, to this ginormous and huge company. Now, now I, I, I mention that because as we read the book of Joshua, and particularly as we come to Joshua 21, we, we are seeing a similar reality, right? We, we are seeing the end of this second main section here in, in Joshua, the book of Joshua, and, and we're, we're seeing the, the, the final uh, portion of bringing into possession uh, the, the land, the, the distributing of the land, the, the possession and, and inheritance of the land. Uh, but remember, uh, the, the children of Israel, the, the offspring of Abraham, they started out by only owning a handful of graves in a cave in the field of Machpelah in the land of Canaan. And these graves were for Abraham and Sarah, uh, they were for Isaac and Rebekah, and they were for Jacob and Leah. These were the only, the only possession that, that, that the offspring of Abraham had in the land of Canaan. But now, as we come to Joshua 21, the entire land of Canaan belongs to them. They own it all, right? And they own it according to the promise and the provision of Yahweh, the Lord. And, and don't forget, uh, whenever you see the word Lord in all capitals, uh, that is the divine name. It's not the title Lord. It is Yahweh. It is God's revealed name to us in the scriptures. Well, here we come to Joshua chapter 21, this final scene of possessing the land coming into view as the Levites draw near to Eliezer uh, and to Joshua and to the heads of the tribes of Israel to remind them about God's command to give them cities to live in. Now, if you're not familiar with the Levites, as you hopefully will be at the end of this sermon, uh, but, but the Levite tribe, the tribe of Levi, uh, was not to possess any particular plot of land like all the other tribes. Right? Rather, they were to be given cities to live in, and these cities were scattered throughout the land of Israel. Now, the land of Israel, no longer the land of Canaan. Right? They were to be given these cities uh, to be temporary uh, places of residences. Right? And not just, the, not just the city they could live in, but as you notice, the pasture land. Right? That they could, could have pasture land for their animals. Uh, and, and these cities were scattered, as I said, without, within all the different tribes. All the other tribes, uh, these cities of Levite, the Levitical cities, were to be found. They would be living within the various tribes 
in cities in their tribes. So these cities did not belong to the Levites, right? As, as, a, as an inheritance, they belonged to the tribe, but these were the cities that God was setting apart saying, here is where the Levites will live among you, the people of God. And so now that all the other tribes have been given their allotted portion, the Levites are ready to know where are we gonna be living, right? Where has God commanded us to live? Now it's easy to, to read a passage like this, perhaps even you know, the whole book of Joshua. Maybe, maybe as you've read through the book of Joshua on your own, you know, you've made it through like chapter nine and 10, uh, maybe 11, right? Kind of the story, the narrative part. And then you hit you know, this part of distributing the land and possessing the land and, and it's just flip, flip, flip because it's so boring. You have no idea how it applies to you, right? And you come to chapter 22 and again, it's narrative, it's talking back and forth. Right? But, but I encourage you not to do that. I encourage you, even if you, if you, if you, if you need to, to have a study Bible with you and to figure out what is the purpose of this chapter? What is the function? What is God seeking to teach us? Because every part of scripture, right, is God breathed, is useful for teaching, for correction, for rebuke, for training in righteousness, as 2 Timothy 3, 16 says. And all the Bible, even when the circumstances of God's people are, are different than they are today, as in the case of a chapter like this, all the Bible teaches us about our God. Right? The God of the Old Testament, the God of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so wherever we are in the pages of Scripture, we can always learn something about him. And so this evening, I want you to see three things about your God from this passage. First, our God is wisely sovereign. Second, our God is wholly sufficient. And third, our God is completely faithful. Wisely sovereign, wholly sufficient, and completely faithful. First, God is wisely sovereign. Sovereign. To be sovereign means to be in control, to be in charge, right? To be the reigning and the ruling king of kings. God shows his sovereignty here in this passage in at least two ways. First, he shows his sovereignty in that he commands Moses in the book of Numbers, chapter 35, that the Levites are to be given 48 cities, right? He dictates, here is how many cities the Levites will receive when you come into the promised land. And the Levites know that promise and they claim that promise. They say, hey, God has said this, he's commanded it, and we want our cities, where are our cities? So God sovereignly uh, determines the number of cities, 48. But secondly, God divides the land up. He divides the, 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 the tribes up in, in terms of who, who will house the Levites, as it were, who will have the, the Levites, how many cities in each tribe. And he does this, you notice, by the casting of lots. Right? This was an old covenant method of communicating God's sovereign will, most likely through the Aaronic priests using, perhaps you've heard of the Urim and the Thummim. Right? These were stones that the, the high priest would carry in, in, in the breastpiece of judgment that he wore in his, his uniform and his outfit. And by using these stones, he was able to discern God's will in particular situations. And so through this lot, the casting of lots, God clearly shows that he is the one who will decide how the land is to be divided up. He is the one who will decide where the Levites will live. Right? In what cities, throughout which tribe. So, so you see the point. God is sovereign. God is in control. 
Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I did not come personally to, to learn this truth, to embrace this truth until high school. And one of the, uh, the, the first books and most helpful books uh, during high school, during college, that I read about this was a, a book named Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. If you've never read it, never read it, I commend it to you. Uh, I'll never forget uh, some of the truths that I learned from uh, this book. He, he said to us that to say that God is sovereign is to affirm uh, that our God wants what is best for his children. Right? He loves us. He knows what is best for his children. He is wise and he has the power to bring about that best for his children, right? He is all powerful. So God is all loving. He is all wise and he is all powerful in his sovereignty. Well, Joshua 21 beautifully highlights the wisdom of God's Sovereignty. He is wisely sovereign. He isn't merely sovereign. He doesn't merely decree and dictate the end from the beginning. He is wisely sovereign. He always knows the best path to take to accomplish his desired end. Now, how do we see the wisdom of God, the wisdom of his sovereignty in the setting apart of these Levitical cities? Well, several ways. First, notice that six of the Levites' 48 cities were the cities of refuge. Now, we didn't read the list, but, but if you were to read through the list of the different tribes, you would have seen this. Uh, for instance, look at verse 13. Uh, to the descendants of Aaron, the priest, they gave Hebron, the city of refuge for the manslayer with its pasture lands. All six of the cities of refuge that Josh Beck opened up for us last Sunday night are given to the Levites to live in, right? Now, remember back to chapter 20, verse 4, we saw that when someone had killed another person unintentionally, uh, they were to flee to a city of refuge. And they were to state their case at the gate of that city in the hearing of the elders of that city. Well, who would have been the elders of the city that, in the case of these Levitical cities, these cities of refuge were all Levitical cities. It would have been primarily Levites. Right? The Levites would at least have been a part of the, the, the group of elders that would have been making these determinations, right? These elders in these cities of refuge were to determine if the man were a manslayer, right? It had been an unintentional killing, or if he were actually a murderer. Like you say it was unintentional, but as we hear your story, you are guilty of murder, and that avenger of blood has the right to come and to destroy you. So here it is, how fitting, how wise of God that the Levites who would have known the law of God, who would have been close to the law of God as they would have been involved in, in all of their uh, religious work, their religious ceremonies, as they would have been involved in teaching, as we're about to see here in a bit, uh, how wise of God to put Levites in the cities of refuge, because that meant that they were going to be a part of this difficult initial uh, hearing, these initial determinations right, of, of whether uh, this person would be allowed to stay in the city of refuge right, until the high priest died, as we saw last week. God's concern for justice is wisely provided for by putting the Levites in the cities of refuge. So we see the, the, the wisdom of God's sovereignty in that way. But, but second, notice that by lot, God assigns the cities from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin to the sons of Aaron, the priest. Now, now you know, if you've ever seen a map of Israel, that, that these three tribes were sort of toward the south, right? 
And these three tribes were, were the closest to the future capital of Israel, Jerusalem. But no one knows except God, right, that at this point in redemptive history, that Jerusalem is going to be the capital city of Israel. No one knows that. And yet God already is making provision for the future, right, ensuring that those priests, the Aaronic descendants, would not have to make a long journey to the capital city, to the eventual temple that would replace the tabernacle. Again, we see God wisely sovereign. God is, is manifesting his wisdom even before it had been manifested as wisdom, right? Even before anyone could see what was happening. Already God is setting things up so that when the time comes that David will conquer Jebus, right? The, the Jebusites and take Jerusalem as his own city and it will become the capital city already. The Levitical cities of the, the, the descendants of Aaron, the priest, are right there in Judah, Benjamin, and Simeon. I'm, I'm sure you've had a situation uh, in, in, in which, uh, by the providence of God, you were in just the right place at just the right time to accomplish or to experience something that you would not have otherwise been able to do. Uh, I, I thought immediately of uh, the fact that when I pastored the, my first church in Columbia, Mississippi, uh, the a previous pastor of the church, uh, two before me, was still living in Columbia, uh, and he was still involved in ministry in the community. And so that was, you know, a little awkward, a little strange. Like the previous pastor's here; he's got some, some you know, there's some tense relationships with, you know, current members, and but he's here, and I'm in the pastor. You know, so we just kind of made it do. Well, then I moved to Cookville, Tennessee. And the previous pastor who had planted the church had moved away, but then couldn't sell his house in Cookville, so he moved back. And he started coming back to the church. All right, this is the you know, second time this happened. This is kind of awkward, but, you know, we kind of figured it out. And, and eventually he does, you know, move back down to, to Knoxville. Well, lo and behold, in God's sovereignty, he calls me to Pear Orchard. Right? <laughs> and he calls me into a transition, uh, you know, situation in which from the get-go, we knew that if this transition were to happen, Carl would remain on staff as an associate pastor. We were like, well, that's all I'll ever know. That's all I've ever known as a pastor, right? Like it's just, it made perfect sense. And yet at the beginning in 2003 and then 2007, it was like, this is strange. Like this is not, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't work. Like, Lord, why are you doing this? It's like, oh, well now I know. Now I see. God was already preparing me right, to be in a situation like this and for it to be just be normal, right? Do you see, I'm sure you have a situation, a story like that in your own life. Our God always knows what he is doing. But finally, and most importantly, as we think about the wise sovereignty of God, God shows the wisdom of his sovereignty in the mere fact of scattering the Levites throughout Israel. This is actually a glorious example of God working good out of evil. And you might remember in Genesis chapter 34, how Moses tells us the story of Levi and Simeon and how their sister Dinah was raped by Shechem, the son of Hamor. Shechem, after raping her, wants to marry her. And so he comes, his dad comes to Jacob and says, hey, my, my son wants to marry your daughter. Uh, the, the, the children of, of, of Jacob, the sons of Jacob, uh, they deceitfully tell Shechem that the only way that you can marry into our family is if every male is circumcised. And they're like, that's great, we'll do it. So they do it. On the third day, Genesis 34 tells us, when they were in great pain, all right, the text says, Levi and Simeon go and kill every single man. 
right? When they were completely defenseless. Well, at the end of Genesis, Jacob calls down, he, he is in his prophecy, he, is, he curses the anger of Levi and Simeon, and he prophesies that they will be dispersed and scattered throughout Israel. Simeon ends up being sort of a small tribe in the middle of, of Judah, overshadowed within Judah. But God takes Levi and literally scatters them throughout the, the nation of Israel. But here is how he makes their evil work for his good and the good of his people. One of the functions of the Levites was to teach God's people his law and to preserve pure worship within the nation of Israel, to keep Israel knowledgeable and, and walking in the ways of God. You see this in the book of Nehemiah and 2 Chronicles and Malachi and Deuteronomy. Right? And so if you were to look at a map of all these cities, you would notice that most of them are sort of in the borderlands, farther away from the, the central city of Jerusalem. These cities were essentially a, a forward operating base for, for the word of God to infiltrate the nation, right? to go out into the hearts of the people. So do you see the wisdom of God? These Levitical cities were the means by which God unified his, his people, keeping them from polarizing into to tribalism. And the Levites were the thread that, that all the beads were, were on. This thread of the Levites holding Israel together, that was the intention. They had carried the Ark of the Covenant in the wilderness, and now they are bearing the presence of God as they themselves go and live throughout the land. God is sovereign, but we have to remember that his sovereignty does not work in some impersonal way like karma or fate, but God is a personal God who wisely exercises his sovereign rule for the good of his people, for his glory, and even when you can't see how a plan might be wise, Joshua 21 assures you that it is. God, through his word, assures you that you can always trust him to do what is best. I'm running out of time. This is really, I did not think the sermon was going to be that long. Um, don't know what we're going to do. Uh, let me get at least to the, the, the last point, uh, or, or to the second point. Um, and then we'll just have to make a few comments about the last point. Uh, God is wholly sufficient Right? He is wisely sovereign and he is wholly sufficient. This fact that the Levites did not get their own land, but instead lived amidst the other tribes, should clue us in that there is something unique, something special about the Levites. And in several places in the Pentateuch, we see something of the nature of their uniqueness. First, in Numbers chapter 3 and Numbers chapter 8, you remember how the angel of death had passed over the houses of the Egyptians and the Israelites, and he had killed the firstborn of the Egyptians, but he had spared the firstborns of the Israelites because they had put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. Well, there's actually more to that story. Because in Numbers chapter 3 and Numbers chapter 8, God tells us that on that night he claimed the firstborn as his own. He set them apart as his special possession. They were his in a unique way. But instead of taking the actual firstborns, he says that he took the Levites. The Levites became his. And when they counted up the number of firstborn, there were 22,273. And lo and behold, in God's providence, there were 22,000 Levites. And so he took the Levites in place of the firstborn. They became his. They became devoted to his service. He gave them to Aaron and to his sons, the priests, to carry the Ark of the Covenant, to stand before the, the Lord, to serve him, to bless, to teach his people, as we just said, to perform the service of the tabernacle. 
and to make atonement for the people, that there would be no plague upon the Israelites. They were the ones that were to come near the sanctuary, not any of the other tribes, to prevent the people from God's wrath. So, So they were uniquely the Lord's. But here's the other side of that. The Lord was uniquely theirs. Turn back to Numbers chapter 13, verse 14. And listen to what God says here in this verse. It says, To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. And now look at chapter 13, verse 33. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8, we read something similar. Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God said to him. So here's the point. The Levites had no permanent portion in the land. They were essentially sojourners, wanderers in the land. They didn't own their own land. Some of you happen to live on Pearl River Valley Water Supply District land. Guess what? You don't own your land, do you? Right? You have a 60-year lease, and after 15 years, so the document I saw online says, you can ask for another 60 years. Right? You don't own the land. You lease it from the Pearl River Water Valley Supply. Now, they do that in order to, to get money to take care of the reservoir. God did it because the Lord himself is the Levite's inheritance. The Levites don't own these cities that they're living in. They belong to other tribes. And they do this in order for God to communicate to them and to all of Israel that I am your inheritance. I am your portion. The the tithe, the, the sacrifices, that was how Levites were fed. They received the tithe. They received the food, the meat that was offered in sacrifice. That was their provision. They were completely dependent upon the gifts of the people of God. Which is why in the book of Deuteronomy, you keep on hearing God say, don't neglect the Levite in your cities, right? Provide for them, take care of them. The point is this, the Levites were a living parable to Israel about the need for dependence upon the Lord. As the Levites have been scattered throughout the tribes, they were a living parable saying, God is wholly sufficient. I am your portion. God ultimately is the, the one, the only one that Israel needed. And you see this, don't you? In, in the piety of the people of God throughout the Psalms and in other portions of worship. First Chronicles 29, verses 14 and 15. David affirms that he is a soldier in the land, a stranger before God, like all of our fathers. Psalm 39, David says, Lord, I'm a sojourner with you. I'm a guest like all my fathers. Psalm 16, verse five, David says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup you hold my lot. Psalm 73, and, and Earl and I didn't you know, work on this and plan this ahead of time. The, the passage that Earl used for his call to worship, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, the Levites reminded Israel and they remind us today that the Lord is wholly sufficient. He is all that we need. He is our portion He is our inheritance. He ultimately, no matter what earthly inheritance you might receive, he ultimately, in the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is our riches. He is our wealth. He is our inheritance. He is our portion. Uh, Some of you know the McGall family 
they have a, a little baby, Sam, who's about to have a surgery, heart surgery this week in, in Boston. Uh, and we were talking and visiting with Jacob, uh, the father, um, this weekend. And, and he, was, he was talking about how hard this is. And they don't know if Sam's going to die on the operating table, if he's going to live for, you know, one year, five years, 15 years. They're, they're, they had to make some hard decisions. But he made this comment to us. He said, you know, we, we just, we really feel like foster parents. And it just struck me. It said, you know what? We're all foster parents, aren't we? Like all of us, you know, some folks are, are literal foster parents. These aren't their biological children, right? But even if you have biological children, you're just foster parents, right? They're not your kids. They belong to the Lord, right? And the Lord might take them at any moment. And this is what Jacob's wrestling with. Like my son might die on the operating table this week, right? His heart's that messed up. And it, and it just struck me. We're all foster parents. We're all renters, right? You know, you're a renter definitely if you live on Pearl River Valley land. But even if you don't, you're a renter. You own it. But it's not yours, right? We're stewards. And the Levites come to us here in this chapter, and they say to Israel, and they say to us, guess what? You're all foster parents. You're all renters. God is wholly sufficient, and even if everything were to be taken from you, you have all that you need, right? The Levites had nothing. They owned nothing. They were provided for by the people of God. They had all they needed because they had God. He was their inheritance. He was their portion. Well, last, and with little time, this sermon, this verse could really have its own sermon. Maybe one day we'll figure out a way to fit it in. Verses 43 to 45, the theological heart of the book. And this is why it's really a shame that I'm not going to spend any time on this because this is the message. This sums up the message of the entire book of Joshua. Right? God is completely faithful. Verse 43 sums up chapters 13 to 21 about the possession of the land. Verse 44 sums up the first 12 chapters about conquering the land, defeating the enemies of God within the land. And then verse 45 declares the complete and the comprehensive faithfulness of God to his promises made to the fathers. Everything that had been spoken by way of prophecy has come to pass. Now, to be sure, there are still cities that have yet to be possessed. Even some of the cities of refuge still were not in the hands of Israel, even as Eliezer and Joshua assign them to the Levites. But in principle, every word that God had spoken had come to pass. There have been no expiration dates on God's promises. If you're like us, you probably have some medicine in your medicine cabinets. have expiration dates, and it's past it, right? I remember once I bought like, Four bottles of hydrogen peroxide. Elizabeth, you know, she said, what were you thinking? Like, we're never going to use this much hydrogen peroxide, right? And we haven't. Like, we have hydrogen peroxide that's like from 2015. That was the expiration date. Does it still work? Maybe, right? There are no expiration dates on the promises of God. No words fell to the ground is literally how the Hebrew puts it there in verse 45. No promises failed to be fulfilled. All came to pass. How we need to hear and to know that the promises of God are good, that he is faithful to his word, completely faithful. He continues to make promises to us. Right? Turn as we close to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to use this as my benediction here in a moment. But look at what he says in verse 23 and 24. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not saying that we have three parts within us, right? It's sort of like love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Right? That the whole inward and outer man, everything that is you, may it be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God will sanctify you through and through, completely. That is his promise. He's begun a good work in us. He will bring it to completion for the day of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you learn anything from the book of Joshua, and again, I apologize that we haven't had, didn't have enough time to look at those last verses, but if you learn anything from this book, learn that there are no falling words, no failing words, no expiration date on the promises of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your truth. Thank you, Lord, for how rich your word is, even in unexpected places like Joshua 21 and the Levitical cities. Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to believe your promises, to know that you're a wise and sovereign God, to know that you are a holy, sufficient God. You are our portion and our lot. You're our inheritance. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to know and to trust in your faithfulness every day. We ask it in Jesus' name, in whom all promises are yes and amen. And we pray this. Amen.